how is it that, you know, we, we keep changing things. I mean, that was a big part of this, like that, that, that chart you were looking at just a few moments ago. We keep changing things because we keep trying to get to a place that we, you know, is more comfortable or more, you know, more like what we want to end up with. But nothing changes. I mean, the divorce rate is, is uh, as high or higher today, maybe than it's ever been. And nothing changes. What is it? What, what is it that we need to do to get out? I mean, th this is more than a slump. This is a disaster. I mean, you look around at the state of marriage in America, it, it's in disaster mode. I mean, it, it's, it's time for something serious to happen in our attitudes if we want to rescue marriage for ourselves and for our kids. Because you, you remember this, right? You know, it, even if you're just dating, you might be married and not have kids yet, or you may be just dating and not even married yet, but you need to realize that the things that you are doing right now in your relationship, you're pouring them down into your kids, even the kids that you don't have yet, because you're building some things into your life that are going to be hard. You know, a lot, a lot of people think that when I say I do, there are a lot of things that are going to change. <laughs> a lot of things, they don't change just because you said I do in front of a preacher and a bunch of people. They, they don't change that quick and that way. You have to be working toward that. You have to be working toward having, having a great marriage. So we, get, we got to challenge a few more things about the way we look at some stuff. And we got to challenge some things about the way we approach stuff. So, so let, let me explain to you. Here, here's really what we have. And, you know, we talked last week about courtship and dating and, and hooking up. You know, we talked about those things last week. You know, and here's what we really have in our culture today. We have kind of this uh, follower attitude or mindset or mentality. It's like we're, we're following. And here's the reason we have this is because most kids today, teenagers today, have less time with their parents probably than any generation that has ever existed in this country, have less time with their parents. Uh, their parents are busy and the kids are busy and the kids are spending more time with their own peers, either at school or you know, hanging out somewhere or uh, online, uh, phones, text, you know, uh, social media, whatever, and we're spending, they're spending more and more time that way. And so what is happening is there is now a vacuum of adult modeling in the lives of most kids today. They do not have adult to, adults to model for them the relationships that they need to have. So there's this follower mentality that, that our teens now have is we just, we just kind of have to go with the flow. You know, what everybody else is doing, we have to, because we're not seeing anything else. Are you, are you hearing this mom, dad, grandmom, granddad? They're not seeing anything else, so they have to just do what is being modeled before them. And the people that are modeling it before them are people their age that are stumbling through life and relationships just exactly the same way that they are. But if you follow the cultural norms of dating, you should expect to end up in the cultural norm of divorce. Here, so here's the problem with the follower mentality, is if you are doing what everybody else is doing in relationships, you're going to end up where everybody else is going to end up. And so if you're excited about one day having a 50 to 60% chance of being divorced, maybe having a 40% chance of actually having a marriage that lasts, if that's a good, good ratio for you, 40% chance of having a marriage that lasts, then go ahead, do what everybody else is doing because that's where you'll end up. Because, you know, uh, what is it? The, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. 
And that's what we do is we're, we're doing the same thing that, that, that the culture is doing and we, we somehow believe that simply because we show up at church for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday, that changes everything. Or that, that our relationship is because, oh, our, our love is just so much deeper than everybody thinks that. And if you continue to follow the cultural norms of dating or relationships and how they're doing it, you're going to end up with the exact same result that they have. And, and I, don't think, I don't think there's anybody here that is dating that says, 40% chance of having a great marriage, I'll take that. I don't think there's anybody here that wants that. So then we have to change some things. One of the problems is there is an ignorance of the specific actions that produce the expected specific results. We kind of know what we want. We want a strong marriage. We want a great marriage. But there, there, is, no, there is no modeling of it, so, so we don't really know Kids today don't really know what to do because they don't really know what the specific actions are that are going to create a great marriage because no one is modeling that before them. Even if their parents are still together, they're not necessarily modeling the very best. And, and, and we do have some great, we do have some great marriages. We do have some great parents. But unless, you know, sometimes you got to just be real in front of your kids too. I remember Kristen saying she was blown away the, the first time she thought we had a fight. She thought we had never fought all of her life. All of a sudden, she saw us have an argument, and she thought our whole marriage was going to fall apart because we had never, you know, she had never seen that before. We need to be real and let our kids see what a real marriage and what real relationships are like. Today, more and more, and, and this is what I'm running into, more and more when, when I talk to, and listen, if you're a parent, I'm talking about when I talk to your kids, Okay. And, and I'm talking, when I talk to teenagers and single adults that are, that are, that are uh, dating, more and more of them are settling for fun, comfortable, and easy instead of saying, I want something that is real. They're settling for that because they don't see anything else. I, I mean, we're, we're buying into this lie that God wants us to be happy. Is that what God really wants? For us to be happy? You know, the problem with that is, right, I mean, you know that, right? I mean, you, you can't be happy. I mean, if you're an Alabama fan, you were happy all but one weekend this past year, right? If you're an Auburn fan, well, we won't even go there this year, right? But uh, we're looking for better things, right, down the road. I mean, that's what happiness is. Is that really what you want in a relationship? That's not what God intends for you to have. He wants you to have a fulfillment that goes so far beyond happiness because happiness is situational. Happiness comes and goes based on whatever is happening to your life. Whatever happens to your life, that's, that's whether or not you can be happy. But people are settling today. It, it, you know, it used to be that people would say, oh, but pastor, you know, come to me for their premarital counseling. Oh, but pastor, we're different because we just, we just have this connection that, oh, it's just deeper than anybody else we know. And, 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 and you know what? I'm hearing that less and less. Because what's happening is more and more young people today are not really expecting to have great marriages because they're looking and they're seeing how marriages are falling apart. And, and they say, well, it's just a crapshoot. You know, hopefully you get it. And you might not. You just never know. Do your best you can. And ho hopefully it's enough. And they're giving up. But God has an awesome dream for you to have a strong, lifelong marriage. Hang in here with me, okay? Let's follow this. He's got that for you. Many, and we, we do, we have expectations. Many have expectations that we tend to make come true, even if just in our own mind. You, you've got that friend, right? You've got that friend that everybody tells her, that guy is the, he's the worst thing walking in a pair of pants today, and she is like, she can't see it, 
right? Oh no, he is this. And she begins to tell you all these things that she sees and she sees, and it ain't there. We've all got that friend, right? And some of you, you're the friend. We're talking to you right now. It's like we've got these expectations. This is the way it's going to be. And even though it's not there yet, this is the way it's going to be. And so we dream it and we just believe it. And we just kind of make it come true in our own hearts and minds, even though everybody else is shaking their head at you and saying, girl, you need to wake up. You know, it just, it just ain't there because many view through a prism of what a prism of what they hope. You know what a prism is? When you look through a prism, you'll see some reflection, you'll see some refraction, you'll see some separating. You know, uh, sometimes it's like, you know, if it's really dark, you might see a little reflection. So you're seeing yourself, you know, in a prism, but you will see the refraction or you'll see the bending of light, meaning that what you're seeing is not really what you think you're seeing. Is You're looking at someone and you think they're headed in a certain direction, but it's being refracted by the prism that you're looking in. And so you, you're hoping that they're going this direction, but they're really going in a different direction. I mean, there's so many things that you can see looking through a prism, but the one thing you can't see looking through a prism is reality. And that's, that's what a lot of people are doing in their relationships today. They're not looking at reality. And you need to wake up and realize that if you're doing things the way culture is doing them, you are going to have the same results that culture has. So what do we do about it? Parents, listen to me. You're the first line of defense and offense in this. You need to reconnect to your kids. And if they are five years old, you got a five-year-old, you need to be connecting as hard as you can right now. But because, you know, what, what happens is we, we, we think we don't need to talk about that stuff till they get 10, 12 or whatever. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm just talking about just relationship. We don't think we have to talk about that yet. But you need to be laying the foundation right now of connecting with your child so that your child believes that you love and you are interested in what is going on in their life and also that you've got a little wisdom. And if you're not connecting with them, they don't know any of those things. And so when they turn 12 and 13 and they start having problems, they're not coming to you. They're coming to the people that, that have been talking to them. They're going to the people online. They're going to, they're going to the websites or the chat rooms or whatever to, to, to hear what other, other people have. to say. They're asking their questions there instead of asking you. Parents, reconnect. And I've had people ask, well, you know, is it quantity or is it quality? Which is most important for a parent's connection with a kid? And I've heard people say, you know, it's not, you know, and the argument's really good that the quantity is not as important if the quality is there. But let me tell you, I've been a pastor for quite a few years now, okay? I've been in ministry for over 30 years now, okay? And I can tell you from my experience, is I can tell you that this is a quality and quantity, which is most important. I can tell you right here, both. You have to have quantity and you have to have quality. There should be some times that you have really good quality time with your kids, but there should be a whole lot more times that you are just there and that they know where you are and they know that you're there for them. They just need to know. We need parents to reconnect again. And we'll talk more about that in, an, in another sermon coming up. And kids, teens, and young adults that are dating, you need to stop going with the flow. Because if you do what they're doing, you're gonna get what they're getting. And you need to start with the end game. Don't start with the, with the date. I mean, don't let that be your dream that I, I wanna go out on a date. I want, him to, I want him to take me here, or I want to pick her up in a limo. I mean, we're, we're starting at the wrong place. We're starting with the beginning. Instead of starting with the end game, what do you want it to end up with? I mean, you know, nobody starts at the beginning and hopes to get something. I mean, no other part of our life do we start at the beginning and just hope it all turns out. 
I mean, imagine you're going to make a cake this afternoon. You don't just go into the kitchen and say, just start grabbing stuff and just hope it all turns out, right? You know, if, if you like, I like woodworking, you know, I don't go, I mean, one of the, the very first thing I do is I start looking at the wood that I've got available in, in my basement, you know, I like working with reclaimed wood. I got to look and see what I've got. You know, I don't just go in there and start grabbing tools and start sawing on things and hoping something comes out. You start with the end game. You know, you, you got to figure out what it is that you're wanting to develop or wanting to build or wanting to create in your life. And then you have to set things up and make the changes. So then you have to make the decisions. You have to make the tough decisions to say, my end game is this. And what I'm seeing everybody else do is not getting them there. So I've got to do something different if I want to get here because there are very few people in my life that I'm seeing get here. And so I got to make the right decisions for me. I got to make some tough decisions. And I can't go with the flow anymore. And I can't do, I can't just be in this follow mentality, I, I follower mentality. I've, I've got to make the decisions that need to be made. So I can't start with the end game. What is it you want? What is it you want? Come on, out of relationship, what is it you want? Just a couple of dates? Just a good time, a fun time. Okay, when you do that, here's what you're doing. You're setting yourself up because yes, you are developing relationships. It will not change when you say I do. If all you want out of relationship is superficial stuff, then all you'll ever get out of relationship is superficial stuff. And there's, there's some other quotes and, and I've had to skip some. There's some other quotes on the Sunday's page and I really, really hope you'll go there and you'll read because there, there's some good stuff that is written there. That you, that you need to read, that I just knew I would not have time to cover today. But if, if you're dating, or if you're of dating age, you're, you're, you're single, you're not, you're not married, and you're thinking about dating, you need to go and read everything that is on that Sunday's page today because there, there are some challenges there for you, okay? If you have to break the follower mentality that is building in every one of your ideas and attitudes and lives, and you have to say, I am not going to follow the path that this world is following, that culture is following, that is taking them to the result that they're receiving. Now we have to, and I don't want to scare anybody, I don't want to get you really worried, but we have to talk a little bit about sex here, okay? Because if I'm going to talk about misconceptions in love, romance, relationships, and marriage, I would be a fool to not bring this subject up for just a few moments, okay? Now don't get real worried. We're going to talk about it from the way the Hebrews look at it. Now, you see... Our culture has totally lost their way in this thing, okay? And that's really what last week's message was about. So I'm not going to preach last week's message, okay? I'm not going to prove that to you. I think you already know it, but if you don't, go listen to last week's message again, and you will remember, oh yeah, we have lost our way as a culture. We've lost our way. But the Hebrews, now you see, they had the Word of God, just like you and I have the Word of God, so they didn't have near as much of it as you and I have. You know, I'm talking about three, 4,000 years ago. And when they began to teach, they taught from the Word of God, they saw the Word of God, not like a lot of us see it like it's a piece of literature or there's some good things in it. They saw the Word of God and still see the Word of God. Hebrew teachers see the Word of God as a guidebook that it tells you what will work and what will not work in your life. That's how they see it. And so when they develop their teachings out of this, when they develop their teachings, they're looking for what works and what doesn't work, and they're finding it in the Word of God. So I, I, want, to, I want to just share with you the things that they believe about sex. And the very first one is the primary purpose of sex. What is, anybody can help me with that. What is the primary purpose of sex? Uh, I'm sorry? 
whispering because you don't want to be wrong, right? Throw it out at me. Procreation, yes, no. That's not it. Good answer, because that's what we all think, right? But that's not what the Hebrews say. You know, because God said, you know, stuck Adam and Eve in that garden, said be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. So he gave them sex to do that, right? That's not what the Hebrews say. Read the rest of the Bible. I mean, we, that, that's where we've got, me too. I mean, I've said that before, that, that procreation is the reason God gave us sex. And that's why we don't need to be out there having sex because we're just creating all these babies that don't belong to anybody or they belong to too many people or whatever. We shouldn't be doing that. And so that's why it's wrong. And, and the Hebrews say, no, that's not why sex was created. The primary purpose of sex is to reinforce the bond of marriage. Oh, now it takes a whole different outlook. It, it, it just changes the whole game plan here and the, everything about sex is that it is to strengthen the bond of marriage. You see, that's how we've so messed it up in this culture today is because the way we're using it, we're using it, the, the hookup culture, and that's where some of the writings are that I've had to skip over that's there on the Sunday's page, but how the hookup culture has developed our culture to where sex is no longer about strengthening anything. Sex is now just a totally separate thing that has nothing to do with relationship. You see this? This is how things are so fouled up in our culture. And we have to recognize this and start honoring, honoring the, 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 the right way to do things. If we're wanting to get to this end game, we've got to do things the right way to get there. Sexual desire, this, this is what the Hebrews teach, and this, they get this from the Word of God. Sexual desire is not, they weren't prudes, okay? They didn't say, no, no sex. Sexual desire is not an evil, but must be satisfied in the proper time, place, and manner. And when sexual fulfillment when sexual fulfillment happens in the proper time, place, and manner, they consider it a mitzvah. You ever heard that word? Any Jews here? Help me out with that word. Mitzvah. You heard of ba mitzvah? It is like, it is a commandment. When sex is in its right place and time with that right person, and when it's the right thing, you know, in that monogamous, lifelong relationship, it is not just a pleasure. It is a, it's a command. You know, they're not prudes and saying, oh, hold off. They're saying, no, God commands you. If you're married, he commands you. You're supposed to please one another in this. See, that's not what some of you thought that the Bible said about sex, was it? That's what, that's what the world, the world doesn't think that's what God says about sex. No, God says, I created it to make you stronger in your marriage. And when you do, it, it is a command that you do it because it will make you stronger. In the Torah, the word used for sex is to know. If you ever read the King James, you'll see it over and over. In Genesis, actually the scriptures are there on the Sunday's page instead of me trying to remember them off the top of my head. But the very first time when Adam knew his wife, it meant when he had sexual relations with her, she became pregnant. He knew his wife. The Torah, the law of God that the Hebrews followed, that we still have in the very front of our Bible, those first five uh, books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In the Torah there, when, when, when it's talking about the sexual relationship, it, it, it uses the, that word to know as if sexual relationship is not just a physical thing, but it's also a mental and an emotional thing as well. That it's not supposed to be just hooking up, 
just for the sake of the sexual pleasure or the physical fulfillment, but that it is, it is, it is encompassing everything about who you are, that you know your wife, that your wife knows you. Oh, see, sex is so much deeper when we take it the way God intended it to be. Oh, we've cheapened it. We've made it so much nothing. Sex should only be experienced in a time of joy. And here's some, here's some no's. Sex is never to be for selfish personal gratification, uh, satisfaction or, or gratification. Sex is never to be forced. Sex is to never be performed while drunk or quarreling. Sex is never to be used as a weapon either by depriving uh, a spouse of sex or by compelling them to have sex. That last long statement there or paragraph right there does away with a lot of sex that's going on in our culture today. If we were to follow that, because this is where we've gotten off path, is that sex is for me. No, it is to strengthen that marriage bond. And so anything you're doing in relationship with sex or whatever that isn't strengthening a marriage bond that is already there is not God's will. And it will not bring you to the end game that you want to be at. It will not strengthen. It will destroy. Two more things I need to throw at you about, about sex before I go on. And, and, and here's, here's another one that I just don't have time to talk about. But it's that pornography is as physically addictive as any drug. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of stopping here for just a moment because pornography is, is a very strong addiction in our culture. And there are people sitting here right now that can't call their pastor and say, I need to talk to you about a problem because it's an embarrassing situation. And so here, here, here's, here's the first step for you. Is, is on, on the Sunday's page, there is something I need you to read. And, and I know it, it's hard to say I'm an addict. I mean, you know, I'm addicted to pornography. I mean, that's one of the first things they say about alcoholics, right? First thing you gotta do is that I'm an alcoholic. It's hard to say I'm addicted. But even if, you even if you can't say you're addicted, but you continue to struggle with it, please read that. Let that be a first step and start beginning to realize. Because here, here, here's the one thing, if I, if, I can, if I can just interest you by, by, by saying this, interest you in reading this, by saying this to you. Pornography and sex are not the same thing. So when you get married... Pornography will not go away by itself because now you're married and you can have sex anytime you, because they're not the same thing. That's laid out on the Sunday's page, a little bit better explanation. And I hope that'll give you just enough taste that some of you that are dealing with this, you'll go there and you'll read that and you'll see. But here's another note for you to remember. That instant gratification in a child breeds instant gratification in adults. Now, there's a lot of things that happen when we teach our kids to demand everything they want and get it right now, and we give it to them like that. There's a lot of bad that can happen. One of those things that can happen, one of the things that we set them up for is for them to fall into a pornography addiction because of the instant gratification without, in, without any feelings toward anybody else. This is my thing that I want right now. We set them up for that. I'll go into that more also in a later sermon. 
but I wanted to th- I want to throw this at you right here. And if you're dealing with that, I-, I really encourage you to reach out to somebody. If it's not me, if you need to reach out to my wife or one of the other staff members, if you're struggling with this, just just to let us pray with you. We're very confidential. We'd love to love to help you with that. But and now I want to go on. Okay, uh, if we can. So let's go on, Tommy, to the next page. So I want to talk to you now about building great marriages. All right, this is where I'm, we're wanting to get to. After we've gotten through all of this, we've got a lot of stuff we've got to throw away. We've got a lot of stuff we've got to tweak. We've got a lot of stuff we've got to say, oh, man, we've got to realize we're messed up in some of our thinking. Now, listen, how, how are we going to build great marriages? First of all, you need to understand this. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. Now, most people will not say amen to me when I first say that because I said, no, wait, I, no, wait a minute. Love's an emotion. I feel love. So it's an emotion. No, you go ask some of these young moms. You go, you go ask Christina sitting here. You go ask Christy sitting here. You know, you, you go ask some of these young moms, is love an emotion? And they will have to tell you, no, is like, you know, joy and happiness and, you know, and those things. Is love an emotion? And they would have to, no, love is not. I don't feel for my child what you feel when Alabama or Auburn wins a football game. That's not what love is. That's emotion. And it's not the same thing. You see, if love was an emotion, then in the middle of the night when that baby was colicky and was crying for mom, mom would just close the door if love was emotion. Say, I ain't had any sleep in four nights. You're just going to figure it out on your own. Close the door and go to the other room. Love is a choice. Love is a choice that says, I ain't had any sleep in four nights, but my baby is crying. And love is a choice to roll out of bed and go in there and see and do whatever is necessary to help that baby get a good night's sleep because that baby needs to sleep as well because that's my baby. That's my baby when I feel good, and that's my baby when I feel bad. That's my baby when it makes me happy because, because she, she hadn't spit up on everything, and that's my baby when she has spit up on everything, and everybody's wondering why I don't dress my baby any, any nicer than I do. That's still my baby, and love is a choice, and no matter what else is going on in my life, that is my baby, and I choose, and if nobody else loves her, and if nobody else is there for her, I'm still there for her. Love is a choice, amen? That's the same thing in your in your love romantic relationships love is a choice that's why people fall out of love because to them love is an emotion and emotions come and go one day that emotion that you are feeling is going to be gone and if you have not yet made the decision the choice that you are the one I've loved that I have committed myself to you for the rest of my life if you hadn't made that choice there is coming a problem a situation or something to zap everything that you've got for that other person away from you and you're going to end up in divorce court like so many others are ending up because you have not made the choice to love. So secondly, let's look at this divorce thing. How does God feel about divorce? You need to remember this, how God feels about divorce. Now let me say, some of you were divorced when I met you. Some of you got divorced since I met you. You're here today. You're divorced. Some of you divorced and you remarried. You know what? We need to pick up right here where we are. I am so sorry divorce has happened, but we need to start right where we are today. We need, if there's any sin that you committed in the past, ask Jesus to forgive you of it. His blood is strong enough to forgive you of any sin you've, you've committed, and let's just start right here today, and let's start looking to build a great marriage. Here's how God feels about divorce. In Malachi, he says, I hate divorce. And so some people say, yeah, that, I, I knew that about the church. The church, their God hates divorced people. Is, is that what that says? Is that what that says up there, that God hates divorced people? 
That God hates people that, get, that have gotten divorced? Is that, what that, that is not what that says. He hates divorce. He hates divorce. He hates divorce like you hate tornadoes. Y'all hate tornadoes? Y'all hate the people that get hurt by tornadoes? No. And God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate the people that get destroyed by divorce. You know, and, and, and when a tornado happens and, and destruction happens, you know, and, and we look and we sometimes we want to say, well, if God hates tornadoes, why didn't God stop this storm, that, this tornado that caused all this destruction in people's lives? And our kids ask the same thing. If God hates divorce, then why didn't he stop the storm, this divorce that caused all this destruction in my life and my family? God hates divorce. As much as you hate the aftermath of tornadoes, God hates the aftermath of divorce. He hates it. And that's why God has done everything he can to help you have, he wants you to have a great marriage. The reason he made no, as Jesus reminded them when, when some were coming to challenge him and question him and trip him up and they asked him about marriage and divorce and everything and, 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 and he reminded them is that God didn't really make any provision for divorce. Y'all demanded Moses do it, but Moses did, but God didn't because divorce wasn't really in God's vocabulary. It wasn't what he was planning for your life. And so some of you, you may be thinking, wow, is that really possible? Yeah, because with God, all things are possible. And you know, as bad as you have messed up, if I was preaching all about you last week, if I was preaching about, and you, you are so wrapped up in the hookup culture, if, you, if, if I was preaching about you and you're so wrapped up in that, let me tell you, if you will just believe that God still has an awesome future for you and a lifelong marriage for you, he will do it because with God, all things are possible. Yeah, it is. But you gotta change some things. You, you, you can't just say, okay, I want that preacher. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hooking up pretty regular, but I, 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 I want that preacher. You got to change some things. How many of you ever heard that saying, the grass is always greener? You ever heard that? Where's the grass always greener? <laughs> now, Irma Bombeck wrote a book that said the grass is always greener over the septic tank. But you know what? I found that's not true. In my backyard... When it gets a little dry, the very first place the grass dies is over the septic tank because the septic tank's just a few inches under the grass, and so there's not much soil there to hold the water. You know, and so sometimes if I'm out there watering my blueberry bushes or, or something, you know, I, I'm, I say, well, that's kind of, and I'll just, you know, put some over there on that too so it doesn't completely dry up and die. So I've just, I've just given you the answer, right? The grass is always greener wherever you water it. Think about that for a minute. Come on, talk about our relationships. When we're looking for greener grass, you want greener grass in your life, you don't need to look somewhere else. You just need to start watering where you want the green grass. You want your marriage to be strong, you need to start watering your marriage. You're spending more time at work than you are on your relationships. That's why your work is going well and your relationships are going south. The grass is greener in the place you water it. So you need to make some changes, don't you? How many of us, every one of us, we need to start making some changes if we want great relationships and a great marriage one day. We need to make the changes that water the grass in the places that we want this end game 
of a great marriage. Gary Thomas said, what if, what if God designed marriage to make us holy instead of happy? Wow, man, I, I, I just like Jamie to come, you know, didn't just come play a song now for about five minutes. Let's just mm -hmm, think about that a minute. Meditate on that. What if God did not design marriage to make you happy, but to make you holy? And happy would just be one of the things that came out of this holy relationship. That ha happiness is just one of the things, but we chase after the one little thing of happiness and we miss all the other amazing, awesome things. And, and I, think he, I think he's on to something. So let me show it to you. A lot of times we begin with scripture, today we're ending with scripture. Ephesians chapter five, it's verse 25 through 28. Husbands, love your wives. Water the grass of your marriage relationship. Do the things that are necessary to build a strong marriage. Water the grass of your marriage. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, not happy, holy, oh, which is much stronger, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. He used the word, using the word to cleanse and, and, and to make, it, make her holy, um, to present her to himself, to, to receive her to himself as a radiant church. Imagine a groom that, that buys the wedding dress for his bride. He's not going to go get her, you know, a dirty one that's all stained down at the thrift store. And I'm not saying you can't buy one at the thrift store if you did. Okay, I would say, you're not going to buy the dirty stained one that's torn. You're going to buy the clean one so he can present her to himself, a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. In this same way, what, 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 what's he saying? He said, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives. In the same way, what way? Love her, give yourself up for her, sacrifice for her. Do what is necessary for her. Cleanse her through the word. Throw a word at her. You know, be a word man, a word person. You know, make decisions based on the word. Build your house on, on the word. Present her to, to yourself. Do the things that, that, that make her radiant, make her beautiful. Not the things that would bring stain or wrinkle or blemish, but do the things that, do, do whatever's necessary to invest in her so that, so that she would be holy and blameless. And every one of us, that's the end game. Is that not the end game? Not over here, but the end game, is that not it? That kind of relationship, that kind of a marriage? Is that not what we want? I mean, are we really so shallow that all we want to do is stand in front of the church and, and have everybody ooh and all about how beautifully, physically she looks, beautiful physically she looks? Or do we really want, or do we really want people to, to, to be in, in envy of us and be jealous of us because of, of, this, of this awesome marriage that God is building in us? I mean, if, if we have any of that pride, isn't it for something like that? That's the end game right there. Is we want that kind of a marriage. That's what every one of us should be aspiring to. But if you're going to do that, if you're gonna have that as your end game, then you've got to do those specific things that add up and that build to get you there, not somewhere else. You gotta make up your mind. Can I ask you, if you will, to join me at the front? If you're a first time attender, we'd like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer. 
And I've got one, one last little thing I want to challenge you with, and we're going to have a prayer and sing a song and be dismissed this morning. And if you're a first-time attender, we'd love to have you come join us at the front. And let me say, well, we were, we were almost swamped this week with prayer requests for sicknesses and things and prayer team. Uh, thankfully, we were able to put some of those together. They would have just gotten text after text after text. We've had so many. So I know some of you, some of you got some real needs. Some of you are sick. Some of you got family members that are sick. Uh, please, I, I didn't preach on sickness and healing, Okay. But if you're sick or if you've got sickness in your family, we want to pray with you about that, okay? So still, just come to this prayer team again. They, have been, they are praying that they get to pray with you today. That's their hope. That's their desire. So don't, don't hesitate. If you've got another need, if you've got a financial need, you need a job or something, come let us pray with you about that too, okay? But some of you, some of you moved last week. You allowed this, this prayer team to pray for you, and we prayed over your relationship some of you married, we prayed over your marriage. I want to do that again today. And I know some of you said, well, we did that last week. Right. Right. You, know, you, you want a great marriage, you don't do it once. <laughs> you, know? you don't water the grass one time. You got to keep watering that grass, make it green. You got to keep going. You got to keep praying. I want to pray with somebody. And this prayer team wants to pray with somebody today that wants a great marriage. And you, say, well, you might say, well, I got a pretty good one. Awesome. We want to see it even be even better and greater because there's an attack coming. There's a sickness. There's something coming against you in your marriage this week, next month. Sometime it's coming. And we want to pray with you that you get as strong as you can possibly be so you can handle that and weather that. You know, uh, I, I've even said this in sermons that I, I don't like superlatives. I don't like to say the most important thing you can do. I, I, I don't like saying that because... You know, I did that one time uh, several years ago, probably been, probably been 20 years ago. I, I remember preaching. I, I preached that. I was pastoring somewhere. And I said, the most important thing you can do, to, and I don't even remember what it was. And about a month later, I said, you know what the most important thing you can do is? And half the congregation said what I'd said a month earlier. But it wasn't what I was going to say that day. <laughs> and so I stopped there for a minute and said, now what am I going to do right here? You know, learn my lesson that day. And we do that. We follow that. The most important thing. But I'm going to, I'm going to give you a superlative. I'm going to give you a most important thing today. Okay? I'm going to give you the one, the one primary most important uh, predictor of success in relationships. And, and this is from my years as a, as a minister, as a pastor, in counseling. And, and not just the counseling part, but in watching people in my churches who have ended up divorced and those who make it. And because some of you guys, some, some of you guys, some people look at y'all and say, they ain't never going to make it. Some people say that about y'all, you know, but there is, there's an intrinsic that, that I, I have seen and I see in the marriages that I'm not, this is the thing, you know, it's, it's not that y'all like the same pizza toppings. It's not that y'all like the same style of music or movies. It's not that y'all like going the same place. It's not that you're both morning people or evening people, sometimes it's better if one of you is a morning person and one is an evening. It's, you know, one of you is the disciplinarian, one of you is the person with all the grace and whatever. Sometimes, you know, it, it's not that, you, you want to know what it is? I, I, I'm going to give you the key to the vault of marital success right here about making it for a lifetime. It's right here. 
Couples who are committed to one another. It's not about all those exterior things. It's about this. It's not about, it's not about what culture is doing. It's not about what I like about our culture. It's not about what I like, like food and those things. It's not about any of that exterior. It's about this right here, me and my wife. It's about our commitment to one another. That's why you see people who are, one's a morning and one's a, an evening person. One's the disciplinarian and one's the grace. You know, and, and you see people like that and they make it. It has nothing to do with that. It's because of commitment. And I, I can call, I, I can call some, of you, some of you up right now as, as an example to say, now some of y'all think that there's no way this marriage will work and you're just wondering how in the world they've stayed together this long. And I said that they are still together today and we'll still be together because they are committed to one another. It's not about anything else. For your marriage to be strong and successful, you just commit to one another. You remember that moment if you're married. For those of you who aren't married, you hear this and you think about this in the future. If you're married, you remember that moment where you stood with that pastor and you made solemn promises, vows, in the sight of witnesses and in the sight of God. You go back to that right now and you go back to that every single day. I have made a commitment. And if you have made a commitment, you know, here's what I have found in my experience. There ain't nothing this world can throw at you that can make you get divorced. I mean, there are some people standing here that can tell you they've been to hell and back and they're still married because of the power of God through their commitment to one another. That's what I want to pray over you today. I want to pray a power of God over you in your commitment that'll help you weather every storm, everything hell can throw against you, everything that hell can devise and plan and imagine against you, but that your marriage will still be strong. And if you would allow us to pray with you, please move this way. Or if you've got another need, we'd love to pray with you about that too. Would you bow with me? Father.